Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. If you will, go with me to Luke chapter 2, and starting in verse 1. Of course, right now at this time of year, uh, we're seeing nativity scenes everywhere, and people are talking about the birth of Jesus more than they do at any other time of year. And uh, never miss out on the opportunity because that is on people's mind, because they are talking about that, because there are nativity scenes everywhere. Listen, in my life, I use everything as a bridge to share the gospel. I look for stuff. When I'm having conversations with people, I'm looking for things in the conversation to turn that conversation into the things that matter, into things of eternal value. It doesn't mean I'm trying to cram stuff down people's throat all the time, you know. Don't don't live your life having conversations just waiting, you know. Really talk to people, but also be aware of what the Holy Spirit's doing. So at this time of year, take the advantage of that and encourage people and use it as a bridge. Uh, Luke chapter 2 and starting in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Sometimes you just sense his help. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And so no matter where you lived in the world, you would have to go back to your birthplace to pay your taxes. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Somebody say she was very pregnant. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for today. And I thank you so much. I believe that you stirred this in my heart and at the last possible moment. And I believe that many times you do those things as a reminder that we can do nothing without you. And so I yield to you the best way that I know how. And God, I give you all the credit and all the glory. I believe that you've given me this word to bring in this moment for these that are here and these that are watching over live stream. And I am well aware that I need your help completely. I ask that you would fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit that you would take over my mind and my thoughts, my mouth and my words, and my physical body, and that you would help me to convey the heart of the Father to our hearts this morning. 
that we would have revelation in your word, that faith would come alive, that we would apply it and do something with it, that we would leave here changed because of what we've heard today. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have a piece of what most people would just call the Christmas story. And of course, uh, many people and probably many of you, maybe on Christmas Eve or on Christmas morning, your family reads Luke chapter 2 as part of your holiday tradition. But I want to use this, uh, I want to use this as a foundation for a thought. So let me deviate for a minute and then come back. As Christians, too many times when we learn things that we didn't know before, we get so excited to have learned something new that many times we let that new knowledge get in the way of the things that actually matter. Does that make sense when I say that? Have you ever, have you ever been in a, in a church or a church service or maybe just around a Christian and they learned a really neat fact? They learned something really neat. And I'm not taking away from the fact that it was good. But all of a sudden, they get so wrapped up and so excited and so focused on this one piece that they forget the whole picture, and they forget what matters. You know, a lot of different denominations of churches have been born on that sort of thing. One person will they'll find something in one verse. And because it's not maybe popularly known, or maybe they just didn't know it, they get so excited that now they, they make their, their whole mind, their whole life is all about this one thing that they learned, and they forget all this other stuff. Is, does that make sense? You know this sort of thing I'm talking about? I think many times Christians do that, and many times knowledge and information can cause us to forget about people. We can forget about the reason for the information. I've known many, many people, and I'm sure that I've been guilty of it, probably more times than I know that I have, that you become prideful in knowing so many things you start learning the Bible, and you get so wrapped up in that you know this that maybe somebody else doesn't. You learn something that nobody else knows. That you miss the purpose behind what that information was for. Have you been around Christians that they could tell you all kinds of facts, but they forgot to care about people? That's what religion is. Religion is a bunch of information about God without God. But maybe I should say it again. That got, boy, that got a lot of audible response out there. I live for those moments. Pray for me. I'm prideful. <laughs> Religion is a bunch of information about God without God. Without God. Amen. Too many times we make our Christian life, and I use that loosely, too many times we make our Christian life all about head knowledge 
instead of heart knowledge. It has been well stated that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's also been well stated that most people will not remember every sermon that you preached, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. There are people that I've been around, and I can't tell you what conversation took place when I was around them, but I never forget how they made me feel. If they were an encouragement, there was a, there was a pastor that I used to be around a whole lot, and almost every time that I was around him, he'd say, you're special. Man, you're something great. And I would, I would hear him take the time that whoever he was around he would pick out good things in that person to call them out. He would call up those good things, and he would always, and, and whoever he was talking to, you felt like a million bucks. Wouldn't it be great if anybody that was around you and anybody that talked to you, wouldn't it be great if they never said, well, they're glad to tell you that they know everything, but instead, wouldn't it be great if they said, Man, I always feel so good when I'm around them. They're just kind. They just build people up. I want that to be my reputation and testimony. Not that we never correct. Not that we would never uh, point anything out. But that when people are around us, that we are kind and that we build people up. But too many times we make it about head knowledge instead of heart knowledge. We could say it this way. We don't want information without revelation. We don't want it to be that our Christian walk is that we just know a lot of facts, that we know, listen, I've been in church long enough. If you ask me a question, I can make something up. I can give you an answer of some kind. I always tell people, if you wanted to know something, you should ask me when I first started pastoring because then I knew everything. The more you learn, the less you know. Amen. And so we can come to a point where we have, you know, I call them uh, filing cabinet doctrines. You say, hey, what do you believe about this? Oh, let me see here. Yep, yep. And you've got, you got something that you can say about it. But if that never transforms your heart, listen, there are people that know far more about the Bible than maybe some of us know. But if they're not full of Jesus, what does all of it count for? It's information without revelation. So what does all of this have to do with the Christmas story? What does all of this have to do with reading about Jesus being born in this stable and laid in the manger? Well, around this time of year, many pulpits and many Christians, it's getting more and more popular. There are many people that they get so busy talking about the facts, such as Jesus was probably not really born in December. Sorry to burst your bubble. <laughs> there are people that start focusing so much on, well, you know the nativity is wrong because when the wise men showed up, he was not a baby anymore. He was two to three years old. 
which is true. There are some people that are they're so excited to tell you all these clever things that they forget that the bigger picture is that Jesus was born. I don't care when he came, but he came. I don't care if it was December 25th or if it was the middle of July or if it was on Valentine's Day. The Son of God, the Jews' Messiah, the sin Savior, the seed of David left heaven and he came to the earth, born of a virgin named Mary. He lived a sinless life and he died on an old rugged cross where he took my sin and your sin. They laid him in the grave, and three days later, he got up again. Merry Christmas. The point is not when he came. The point is that he came. It's not about his birth date. It's about his birth. I don't care when he was born. He was born. Somebody shout, Jesus was born. You see... When Adam and Eve fell into sin, right then God promised that he would send a Savior. In the moment that they messed everything up, God's heart is always redemption. God's heart is always rescue. It's always salvation. It's always restoration. And in the moment that they messed it up, do you know God did not have to think of a plan? No, the Bible says that Jesus is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. God knew what they would do before they did it, and he knew what he'd do about it. And when they fell, he already had a plan to flip the script. He already had a plan to reverse the curse. And he gave them the promise that a man would be born. Eve was so excited about this that the first time she got pregnant, she said, oh, here's the promise. A man is born into me. <laughs> Sorry, Eve, you got about 4,000 years. But that promise was given, that word was given by God there at the very beginning. And the big issue is that Jesus came. That God fulfilled his promise. That the prophecies that had been prophesied for 4,000 years were fulfilled. He came. Luke 2 and 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. God came. God came. Matthew gave the prophecy like this, 1 and 23, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they'll, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. 
God with us. The Bible shows us the prophecies. It was a promise that God would come to earth. That he would retain the nature of deity, but lay aside the attributes of deity and become not half man and half God, but 100% God would become 100% man to become the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That God would become the go-between. We're on a cross with one beam pointing up to heaven and one stretched out to earth that the Son of Man would be hung up for our hang-ups and he would die in our place, not for us, but as us, and he would connect heaven to earth that one day I could go to heaven when I die, that my sins would be washed away, that I would be cleaned by the blood of the pure, spotless Lamb of God. Emmanuel, God with us. I was friends with a a Jewish man who lived in Israel, and he would call, and we would talk for several hours at a time. Thank God for messenger calling. Come on, somebody. The one calling on the phone is called a messenger. And we would talk, uh, not a Messianic Jew, not a Christian, but an Orthodox practicing Jew that attends uh, temple Every week, a few times a week, doesn't make big life decisions without going before his rabbi, observes, observes Sabbath and all of the holidays, etc., etc., etc. I have several Jewish friends in my life, and uh, this man is the one that's the most passionate about living it, what he believes, and has a a passionate regard for wanting a relationship with God. Most of my Jewish friends don't talk that way. For many of them, it's just tradition and legacy and heritage, and they don't believe it so much in the literal. To them, it's more like just a family thing that is invested. But this man, uh, this is a man that that prays and all these sorts of things. (laughs) And so conversation with him was always amazing because... Uh, he is so versed. He has been taught uh, Torah from the time he was born by oral tradition. That's how it's passed down. You have to memorize and memorize and memorize. And so uh, he knows what he believes and he knows where to find it. And it was neat talking to him because he came and lived in the States for a little while. And in the time he was here, he was only speaking English. And so now that he's back in Israel... He would, he would be telling me something on the phone, and then he would yell at his wife, and he'd say, hey, how do you say such and such in Hebrew? And then you'd hear his wife in the background, you know, hacking something up, and she was saying whatever, <laughs> you know, because that's what it sounds, you know, <laughs> you know, and then he would tell me what it was, and I'd say, yep, praise the Lord. But anyway, uh, it was neat because how many of you know that our God is the God of the Jews? How many of you know that Israel is God's chosen people? How many of you know that our Savior was Jewish and the disciples were Jewish? And we read a Jewish book written by Jewish authors and that Christians and Jews are not enemies. But this is the fulfillment of what came through that line. And so I could learn a lot from him. I could learn a lot from him. But he doesn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He doesn't believe that, uh, that Jesus is Messiah. He told me that, and he, and he was never rude 
He had a lot of respect, you know, you know, for, for me. But he said, Jesus cannot be Messiah. He said, because, he said, God does not visit earth as a man. He said, Jesus can't be Messiah because God doesn't do that. He said, God does not become a human and come to earth. And uh, I think he should revisit Torah, honestly, because we have the Lord himself with two angels walking up to Abraham, and he goes and kills a goat and makes him some fresh butter. And now I'm really, really hungry. And, and they eat together, and then the Lord hears Sarah laughing in the tent. And, and we have different times throughout Old Testament when the Lord visited the earth before he came born as a virgin. So God does visit earth. But he said Jesus, can't, it, Jesus could not be the Son of God, he said, because God does not come to earth as a man. I said, well, I said, then what do you believe about Messiah. Now, I'll tell you this, if you talk to Jewish people, even amongst Jews, very few of them agree. And so if you ask a Jew about interpretation or their view of something and they give you an answer, do not run and start telling everybody this is what Jews believe. Chances are it's what that Jew believes. Even amongst the rabbis who still meet daily and debate the interpretation of the Scripture, which we could all benefit a lot if we would get together, uh, Titus says, and let the communication of our faith become effectual. And if we would do like the Bereans did and study these things daily to find out if they were so. You know, Peter said to always be ready with a logical reason, a defense for the faith that is in you. And a lot of us don't know what we believe and definitely don't know why we believe what we believe. And it would do us good to get together beyond Sunday where somebody stands and tells us these things and start finding out what's in the Bible. Amen? And so, amen. And so th these, these wonderful Jewish people, these rabbis still get together and they do this. But I asked, his name is Shmuel. I asked Shmuel, I said, if, if you don't believe that God visits the earth as a man, I said, aren't you all waiting on Messiah? I said, no, I believe Messiah has come in Jesus. I said, but you're, he said, we are waiting on Messiah. I said, what is this you believe he doesn't come to earth as a man? He said, we do not believe that Messiah is a person that comes. He said, we believe that Messiah is an age of enlightenment. Now, again, this is not what all Jews believe. This is what some Jews believe. So don't go and say this is what Jews believe, Okay. But this is what many Jews believe. There is a, uh, there's a whole school of thought on this that many rabbis believe in, a, in not a Messiah, but a Messianic age. And then there are others that believe Messiah is coming. So he said, we believe in a Messianic age. He said, we do not believe that Messiah is coming as a person who is a sin savior. He said, we believe that Messiah is an enlightenment that will eventually come to the whole earth, and there will be no hate, and there will be no hungry people, 
There will be no dissension. Everyone will be full of love. Everyone will know God. Everyone will honor God. Everyone will be kind to one another. Now, I can tell you there is such a day coming. But it is not going to come any other way but through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and him setting up his throne in our heart. Yes, there will be a time when God's peace and his grace and his joy is on the earth, but not everybody will be here. But this is what he believes. This is what he believes. But God does come to earth as a man. And God has come to earth as a man. And Jesus came to the earth Do you know how many prophecies he had to fulfill without failure? Great mathematicians tell us, mathematicians who have studied the prophecies of the Old Testament and the life of Christ, they tell us that it is a mathematical impossibility for one human to have met all of the criteria to be Christ unless Jesus actually is who he says that he is. They said the only way somebody could do it is if it's true. Come on. Because if, if they were not, if he was not who he says he is, it would have been impossible. Nobody could arrange the timing and the circumstances and the places and to be from Nazareth and from Bethlehem and just on down the line, 4,000 years of prophecy. And this baby shows up, and before he's old enough to think, he's fulfilling prophecy. Everything surrounding his birth. But do you know what is just as troubling as people that don't believe? That Jesus is God? It's people that claim that they do believe that Jesus Christ is God, but they still don't embrace Him. They put a nativity on their on the lawn. They wear a cross around their neck. If you ask them if they're a Christian, they say, yes, I'm a Christian. They start talking about God and country. You know, we've got a lot of God and country people that aren't too heavy on the God part. Amen. The truth be told, the cross doesn't mean a whole lot more to them than the flag. And to them, it's about a lot of patriotic feelings and sentiment It's not really about something that transforms the heart and what you live by. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's just as troubling that there are people that claim to believe who Jesus is, but still don't embrace him. But I would like to make a simple statement this morning. It will do you no good that Jesus was born in a stable if he is not born into your heart. It means nothing that he came to the world if he doesn't move into your world. People adorn themselves with Christian symbols, 
without placing their faith in the God behind those symbols. Christianity is not a religion to be worn around your neck, but it is a relationship with God to be cultivated in your soul. The old covenant confined God to a physical building, but the blood of Jesus makes us the temple of God. We are the temple. This is not the house of God. This is an old movie house. I am the house of God. It's the house of God everywhere I go. At the grocery store, I'm the house of God. At Walmart, I'm the house of God. At the post office in the bank, I'm the house of God. Somebody say, I'm the house of God. I'm the house of God. The old covenant confined him to a building, but the blood of Jesus makes you God's own workmanship. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. Isn't that powerful? God who commanded. There was no such thing as light. There was only darkness. And God said, let there be light. And light comes out moving about 5,000 miles an hour per second. I'm sorry. Thank you, Chris. I'm so glad Chris is here. (laughs) Second. Per second. And you know, it's amazing because from the moment God spoke that, some 7,000 years ago, light began to emanate out from the center of who he, from where he spoke it. And do you know that scientifically, light has never stopped expanding? It is still reaching the vast endless of the cosmos. And the greater telescopes that we build, light keeps hitting more areas. We don't know if what there are still stars and planets being created on that one word that went, it just keeps. For all that time, light has continued to race out because he never told it to stop. Anybody see that little thing I posted on Facebook the other day? Oh, my God. Years ago, we played that sermon by Louis Giglio. Anybody? We were just talking about him. How great is our God? And he got into those stars and the planets. But that little thing I shared on Facebook, it it went further than he was able to go in 30 minutes. You ought to go look at that. Just scroll back on my wall a little bit, and you'll see it. And it'll just fry your whole brain. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts. The same God who is a star breather. The same God that spoke and galaxies were flung into existence. The same God that shined light in the universe hath shined light in your heart. (laughs) Not only did he send a word out into space, but he sent a word into you. The Bible said, to every man has been given a conscience. Con, with, science, knowledge. He has given to every man knowledge. He has given to every man the knowledge that God is. And the Bible says he's given to every man the measure of faith. Every human being has faith, whether they think so or not. 
Faith is that capacity within a person to lean on something. Faith is the same word as trust or confidence or lean or depend. You are, uh, I know, you may not think you have much faith, but there is proof even in this room that you have faith because none of you checked your seats before you sat in them. You didn't check it. You just sat down. There is inside of you faith. There is inside of you a thing that trusts stuff. And everybody trusts something. Everybody leans on something. Everybody depends on something. That is proof that you have faith. So you have a conscience and you have faith. Conscience plus plus faith is relationship with God. You have to put those together. You have to do the spiritual math. You have to take that thing inside of you that knows there's a God and that we're accountable for our actions, and then you have to use the faith that he gave you to lean on that which you already know inside of you. And it happens when you hear the gospel because the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. When you hear Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus lives again, your conscience goes whoop, 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 and then you have a decision to place your faith in what you've learned and you're saved. You put it together and you're saved. You start a relationship with God. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to reveal that Jesus is that. But we have this treasure. What treasure? The treasure of God living somewhere. We have it in earthen vessels. What is the earthen vessel? This. Don't I have a nice-looking vessel? Probably needs a little work. I ought to have really strong abs. I suck this in for an hour every Sunday so you all don't know how far it is. I got like a six or eight or ten pack underneath this. I'm holding it. These are the earthen vessels. The Bible says that God created man of the dust of the earth. You are, you are a clay pot. You know, you're some 60% water, but the rest of you is dust. Well, what happens when you mix dust or you get clay? You are a clay pot. You are the earthen vessel that God lives in. And why would he do it that way? This verse tells us that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. God chose to live in man. In man. So we take our conscience, we add it to our faith. The Holy Spirit kills our old spirit, is born into us. The Bible says we are born of the Spirit. That is Jesus being born into you. And now you have God walking around inside of you in an earthen vessel. 1 Corinthians 6 says it this way. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? The Bible says that you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. God lives in you, and you are not your own. 
Next time somebody says to you, my body, my choice, say, well, that's not what the Bible says. This is not my body. This is God's body. I gave it over to him for his glory, so it's not my choice. I don't get to do with my body whatever I want. I get to do with my body what God said, and I'm supposed to glorify God in my body, in my actions, in my decisions while I'm on the earth. God's body, God's choice. Put that on a T-shirt, James Bradley. (laughs) Ooh, felt that. You'll spread the word, and you might make a million dollars. God's body, God's choice. That's good. We ought to cut that out of live streams. Nobody can steal it before you run home and make that shirt. You better make them fast. I don't know. Get a copywriter or whatever on that. You can have that. Praise the Lord. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God being born into a human being. We've heard that so many times that we don't care anymore. But do you know how amazing that is? That the God of this ever-expanding universe, this God that is bigger than that universe, says, yeah, I'll get down inside of you. Yeah, I can be about 5 foot 11, 185 pounds. I can get inside. I can live in you. It's amazing. You know, we are quick to rehearse the story that Jesus was born in a stable because there was no room for him in the inn. We talk about that, and we get those goosebumps, you know. And there was no room for him. The innkeeper said, I'm sorry, no vacancy. There's no room here. We preach that thing. Get those Holy Ghost doodads. So he was born in a humble stable, laid in a manger where animals eat. And just like the animals would come and eat their bread from that manger, now the bread of life has been laid in the manger for you and I to go and eat. Don't think I won't do it that way again either because that preaches good. And it's true. We talk about the fact that the world never did make room for Jesus. Think about it. The God of this world came to this world. And the only room that the world made for him was on an old rugged cross on cold Golgotha's hill. And even after he died, he didn't get his own place. From conception to death, there was never any place given to Jesus. He literally went from a borrowed womb to a borrowed room to a borrowed tomb. And nobody ever gave him any space. Don't get too excited. I say it every year at this time. Rose is like, he's going to say it. He's going to say it. Yep, I'm going to say it every year. (laughs) But the question today is not about everybody else in the world. The question today is about us. Have we given room to Jesus? Have we made space for him? Amen. Have we made space for him in our lives? You know, if you want to know if your life, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about you haven't accepted him as Savior. But if you want to know if your life belongs to God, you don't really have to look any further than your daily mornings. The, the, the proof is in the fruit of it. The evidence is in our actions. 
If you want to know, have I, have I really given myself over to God? You don't have to look any further than your daily mornings. You don't have to look any further than your Sundays. You don't have to look any further than your checkbook. We don't have to look any further than our conversations and how we treat people to know how much room that we're actually giving to him. That's hard, isn't it? Jesus did not come just to visit the earth. He came to be born into every single part of our lives. He was born on the earth by living as a human, but he is born into us by our faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. The promised Messiah came, just as God said. And now what will we do with him? Have you been born again? And are you making room for him in your life? Singers, musicians, would you come? Let it never be that our relationship with God is based on sentiment. Let it never be that our walk with the Lord is based on what gives us the feels. Let it never be that this is an emotional experience for us and that we just try to get a refill when we feel like we need one. But let it be that Jesus was not just born in a manger, but that he is born on the inside of you. The Bible says that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. But the Bible says that we are supposed to grow in his grace and in the knowledge of the Lord, that we are supposed to grow from glory to glory and from the Greek in that verse. I love how the Amplified expounds on the Greek in that verse from Romans because where, where the King James says, from faith to faith, uh, the Greek could be summed up like this. It says, from a faith that arouses to more faith. You will act on it. It will now spring forth and grow into more faith. Amen. I don't just want the mustard seed faith that helped me to pray a prayer at the altar. I want the kind of faith that takes down giants and walks through mountains and conquers on this earth and establishes the kingdom of God. I don't want to just lean on him this much. I want to lean on him for everything. I want to lean on him for everything. Born in a manger, but are you letting him be born in all of your life? Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.